on this episode of China Unscripted. The Chinese Communist Party is at the head of a global network of drug trafficking, money laundering, prostitution, and corruption. Trudeau's government is turning a blind eye. How can the Chinese regime be stopped when our own officials are working against us? Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Zhang. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And joining us today is Sam Cooper. He's an award-winning Canadian investigative journalist and author of the book Willful Blindness, How a Network of Narcos, Tycoons, and CCP Agents Infiltrated the West. Sam, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. So the last time we had you on, we talked about your book, Willful Blindness, and all about the, the, the really shady connections between the Chinese Communist Party, triads, and the Canadian government. Uh, but now you have made a 17,000-word update to willful, willful blindness. Why, why did you make that decision? Well, there was some important information to update. Uh, one was uh, the BC anti-money laundering trial that uh, really uh, stemmed from a lot of my reporting uh, has concluded, and they came back with some of their findings. I had some more documentation from those hearings to, to add to my narrative. And uh, there was an important update uh, about foreign interference in Canada, which really connected to what, what I was told was interference against myself and the book. Uh, in brief, I was warned after the book came out that uh, it, it was having impact in Canada and Beijing was worried about its impact. I was told that uh, Chinese intelligence in Canada was uh, seeking to gather information on myself, on the impact of the book. They wanted to know whether I had any connections or sponsorship from what China calls the five poisons. Those would be a uh, Democracy, democracy activists within China, groups like Falun Gong, which China, uh, the Chinese Communist Party really fears, uh, activists in Tibet, Uyghurs, etc. They, they of course also fear what uh, democracy in Taiwan. So, in a nutshell, I felt it important to update Canadian citizens that these efforts by the Chinese Communist Party against a journalist and author were occurring, and uh, I found that. Uh, you know, I could say that the same people involved had also uh, uh, really done a, a very sophisticated attack on Canada's last federal election. I know uh, America, your American listeners and viewers are very familiar with the reports of Russia's uh, efforts to uh, infiltrate the United States elections, but uh, China has deeply infiltrated Canada's elections in at least, if not more, a worrying way. So, so those are some of the things I had to update uh, readers on. So the the trial you're talking about is the Cullen Commission, right? That's right. The, the Cullen Commission into money laundering. And in brief, they came back with findings that a vast, uh, what's called Vancouver model money laundering is using BC's economy as a clearinghouse, as the judge involved said, for global money laundering activities that destabilize uh, the west coast of Canada's economy. Uh, they didn't come back with some findings on some of the very important things that my book uncovered, and I know they're of interest to experts in Washington, including people involved in the uh, military, law enforcement, and intelligence. But they did come back and say, we've got a big problem, Canada. We need to do something. Uh, we're not exactly sure what we can do about it in a way. Uh, and so then Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, came in and said, I'm going to take care of this problem, right? 
in an ideal world for for a statesman or a stateswoman, you would think that uh, they would have we would have heard from the prime minister, Justin Trudeau, saying that this is a tremendous finding and uh, we need to get the national federal force and intelligence agencies all over it. And as your your tone indicates, I, unfortunately, we haven't heard anything from Ottawa or the prime minister. We have heard from some opposition MPs that uh, both were concerned with the Cullen Commission and uh, I guess you could say uh, are fans of willful blindness. And they are now, at least one is now calling for a national anti-money laundering inquiry. Now, this, this is what I find fascinating. Like, this is getting a lot of exposure. There are some very serious risks to Canada going on because of the Chinese Communist Party. And yet it seems at a higher level, there's very little movement from the Canadian government to deal with this. For example, in January 2020, uh, you know, British MI5 uh, issued a warning that an alleged Chinese agent infiltrated the UK parliament. But Canada's CSIS, that's uh, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, doesn't issue warnings about similar things in Canada. Why not? That's right. Uh, it, it's a complicated situation. This is a, a theme in my updated chapter. I was told by sources, both political and in Canadian intelligence, that uh, what, what occurred with Christine Lee in Britain, that is a high-level infiltration of Britain's parliament, uh, the leading Conservative Party, a real focus there, using what... Uh, what they say and what I wrote about is the United Front Work Department and uh, very big fundraisers, including Ms. Lee, approaching politicians and finding that soft spot, that is that the need to fund election campaigns. Canada knows that our prime minister was deeply targeted, his party targeted in the very same way with these very, you know, uh, very in insidious political donors that get beside the prime minister, lobby for a policy that will be beneficial to Beijing. And they 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 are able to, uh, it's feared, uh, compromise our leaders in that way. But you're right, CSIS knows about it, but cannot make an alert because of Canada's stringent privacy laws. And I'm told the more deep and nefarious factors, and that is, could the ruling liberal government be benefiting from Chinese interference. There's a case there if you consider that in the last federal election, as I've indicated, there was a you know a very sophisticated WeChat facilitated attack on conservative uh, members of parliament, including one that was calling for a foreign agent registry in Canada. Uh, this MP was smeared as anti-Chinese and uh, a racist against China. He's a Chinese Canadian. So uh, the, the question here is, if you're the liberal government and uh, the other party, your uh, political enemy is being attacked by Beijing, you are not, are you benefiting? Could this be another case of willful blindness? Uh, people that I talk to in intelligence who are very frustrated uh, with Canada's lack of efforts against China, unfortunately, they believe that that kind of corruption could be occurring. Is, well, that, I mean, is that the type of election interference you were indicating earlier? Yes. Uh, in a nutshell, the WeChat campaigns were, were rolled out across Canada, focusing, uh, you know, on, on, on Chinese Canadians that, that often get most of their news from Mandarin sources. And uh, these networks distorted and smeared the efforts of a Chinese Canadian MP to get a Foreign Agent Registry Act, 
which Canada lacks. They said this was racist. They also attacked other, you know, ridings in Vancouver on the West Coast, Toronto on the East, that have a high Chinese Canadian or Asian uh, population. And uh, a number of independent reports said China was successful in influencing these ridings. That's kind of terrifying. Now, the, the, the flip side of that is one of the things that, that uh, you publish in your update, it's got some interesting photos um, with a story to tell, including uh, a couple of photos of Justin Trudeau. One of them shows him with uh, the U United Front President Bin Jong donating to the Trudeau Foundation in 2016. Well, let's let's start with that one. What, what's what's going on with with that whole thing? How how is Trudeau meeting with the United Front local president? That's right. I mean, that is a very nefarious set of photos. In a nutshell, there were these cash for access meetings in the Toronto area. Uh, at the time, Trudeau's community organizer was a, a Chinese Canadian man who we know, uh, that is, I know, is connected to a high level CSIS target, who is also a big fundraiser in the community. And uh, let's just not get too wide. Let's focus on that photo. Bin Zhang, the United Front official, high-level CCP uh, uh, official, is in that photo with uh, Trudeau smiling uh, Chinese-Canadian flags. And on the other side is a man named Wei Wei, who is, uh, he and his colleagues were investigated for what's believed to be the biggest illegal casino ever discovered in Canada, major organized crime investigation, uh, it's believed, according to my sources, and I indicate in the book, there are concerns of United Front activity connected to the illegal casino where Canadian politicians can be brought to visit and uh, bad things can happen. So all in that photo, you see Chinese official, Chinese illegal casino suspect, indications of organized crime, major donations to Justin Trudeau's family foundation, I could go on, but I think you can see that this is United Front work of the same type, type uh, learning in Britain. Again, CSIS knows about it, RCMP, Canada's police know and concerned, but the public isn't officially warned. Uh, for these reasons I'm speaking of, uh, is there a blockage at the top of Canada's government that, that people don't want the, uh, the Canadian public to know of these serious concerns and, you know, perhaps with fake arguments such as this will inflame anti-Asian racism if we warn about this high-level espionage. So how much money are we talking about that these United Front people and groups are giving to Trudeau and his, his foundation? In that one donation uh, connected to the CCP and uh, illegal casino suspect, it, it's just under a million. Uh, well, that's not, that's not that much, right? I mean, not for Trudeau. <laughs> Not too much. There's some interesting routing. Uh, the money goes to a, a law school associated to uh, uh, the, the prime minister's famous father. And there's a statue of the prime minister's famous father, who was really the, the first Canadian politician to directly reach out to Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party. So there's a history there. What I want to say is this was money that goes to a family foundation, not directly into political or election coffers, but... The people surrounding this donation are very involved in uh, the prime minister's community outreach and fundraising. So it's a broad effort. And uh, I can tell you, as I update in the book, some of them are targets of thesis. Some of them are identified 
in FinTrack, that's Canada's money laundering watchdog, suspicious transaction reports around money wiring in from Hong Kong in connection to students who are in Canada allegedly laundering money into mansions. So if you're following me, these are a lot of the themes that my book is about. And in this update, I've shown how they tie into politics that go right up to the prime minister. Now, I mean, you call your book willful blindness. To me, I'm, I'm hearing this. I'm seeing these photos. It sounds like to me, it sounds more like Trudeau is just he's he's a traitor to the Canadian people. Am I wrong in thinking that? Well, uh, we, I guess we need to be careful with some deniability. Uh, uh-huh. You know, in cases such as these, I, I hear things like uh, we've taken steps. There's now a $3,000 per head donation limit at these uh, cash for access uh, events where the prime minister will will attend, a, you know, a dumpling rolling party in Toronto or Vancouver with people who happen to be, as I know, high level RCMP targets or Chinese officials. Uh, so, you know, people will say the prime minister isn't responsible for vetting everyone at these events. But look, as your question indicates, the prime minister, uh, powerful people in his party, ministers, they're responsible for receiving and listening to the briefs that come from Canadian intelligence or the, the RCMP about the risks associated to these United Front efforts. And yet, what has happened? Do we now have a Canadian Foreign Agent Registration Act, even though the the, the advice is is coming forward, not just on the China file, but the Russia file, that Canada would be derelict if we don't have such a uh, legislation? No, we don't. (laughs) We don't. And uh, the the, the meetings continue to occur with uh, these individuals connected to uh, casino money laundering, some of them allegedly connected to uh, international drug trafficking networks, so all of them connected to the Chinese Communist Party at these cash for access meetings. All right. Is, okay. To to be fair, for access to a dumpling rolling party, I would pretty much do anything. <laughs> so, uh, Sam, is like you talked about Canada does not currently have a foreign agents registration law the way that the U.S. does. And Australia has something similar too, right? But do they? What about campaign finance laws? Are these donations like in violation of any of them? No, as a a result of some of these meetings that were exposed at least uh, on a, you know, a decent, not to the level of my book, but they were exposed in news reports in 2016. The Liberal Party or government responded by putting a limit. Each member, each person can only donate $3,000 to a campaign or a leader. So there's some action there, and this is what uh, we will hear every time this kind of story comes up. But my uh, the concern of myself and some of my sources are, as, as we see in the donations of just under a million to a family foundation, there are other ways to get close to or achieve potential influence rather than a straight you know campaign donation of $3,000 or less. But I will say, uh, when you're, as my book indicates, when you're receiving about 3000 to your local writing association and your party from someone uh, believed to be a, a high-level intelligence and organized crime operative in, in one person, I'm, I'm thinking of a People's Liberation Army veteran out in Vancouver area, there's a concern there. There's a big concern. Well, so when and, you say well, they could also just invite like thirty-three people to the party, and you, then you've got yeah, about, I was about say, a million that, dollars. Right? That happened to with I don't know if this has happened in Canada, but 
the Hillary, Hillary Clinton's campaign back when she was running against Obama, like they got in trouble uh, for donations from Chinatown in New York City because they were getting a lot of small donations from people and then the addresses were fake or like it seemed like the people who were donating weren't actually putting up the money. So there was money being routed like through people that was like, like, like kitchen workers and stuff donating the maximum amount. Yeah, things like yeah. that. Very suspicious. It is very suspicious. And, you know, my sources would indicate that, you know, if you've got 50 people at a party, uh, the system would be such that, okay, they're supposed to be all individuals with their own, you know, uh, wants and needs. They're not supposed to be all there at the bidding of, let's say, an illegal casino boss who hands each of them 3000 in cash. And then that just floods in all towards one purpose, all coming from my sources would indicate a potentially illegal casino activity. That's a big concern. My book is called Willful Blindness with regards to the casino and money laundering activity. But I also point to the, the potential, and I believe reality, that what's called you know intelligence threat financing is routed through legal and illegal casinos in Canada. Well, and so when you talk about like this Weiwei guy being involved in organized crime, tell us a bit about that. What kind of guy is Trudeau taking almost a million dollars from? Sorry, Trudeau's family foundation, not him. Well, uh, the, the types of guys that are, are in this uh, Chinese officials uh, association that, that he's representing, I've, it's called the Chinese trade something or other. There's so many of these different names. I can search his website. On the one hand, we see, you know, uh, honorary board member Jack Ma. We all know who he is. Uh, we're not, not, the show's not about Jack Ma. You know, you could argue that a, a brilliant business person. But another member I found was the alleged boss of a, a, a Hong Kong-based triad that would be one of the people I write about in this book that's very connected to uh, many nefarious activities and uh we believe, you know, the, the patterns are tasked by the Chinese Communist Party to fulfill objectives and thus allowed to do their international criminal activity. So that's on the board. This person way, way shows up in the photo. So it's uh, we can surmise that in Canada, you know, he comes from Anhui province. Uh, there are uh, at least from the Canadian police perspective, he's involved in the biggest illegal mansion casino ever discovered. Police said, we believe proceeds from this activity can fund uh, drug trafficking. We believe that uh, high-level Chinese officials are flying in to gamble at this casino. We believe Canadian politicians are being invited to visit these decadent quarters. We believe prostitution at a high level is occurring in this home. There are guns found inside. Uh, cryptocurrency could be involved. So you can see a very complex set of um, nefarious criminal activity, all in a big mansion, politicians from China, politicians from Canada, and organized crime investigations. They didn't find any drugs inside, but they did say, we believe proceeds from the casino can fund international drug trafficking. That's, uh, uh, that's what my sources say, and uh, they said directly you know, at a press conference, we're worried that drugs could be connected to this. Wow. So I think I'd, I'd like to revisit something that we had talked about on our previous podcast, because not all of our listeners have listened to that, which is like these casinos are basically involved in this 
sort of ring of of crime that involves trafficking drugs to Canada, uh, weapons, human trafficking. Can you talk a bit about that for a few minutes, just so our viewers kind of get some background on just how much of this, you know, Chinese-based triad crime is going on uh, in Canada? Sure. I'll start with the, the, the illegal mansion casinos, then work my way back to the source, which would be Macau casinos and Hong Kong triad. So what I've written about in my book and discovered was that incredible money laundering was occurring in BC government casinos. It was known that the biggest so-called whale gamblers traveling in from China were uh, known uh, drug trafficking suspects. To, to international agencies in the United States, Canada, Australia. And yet government casino officials hungered for the, the cash coming in so much that they turned a complete blind eye. They, they even built government casino rooms specifically for these uh, whale gamblers traveling in from China. This activity helps the drug gangs that are connected to China and directed from China, but based in Vancouver, launder their drug cash, cycle it back, through the gamblers to China, get that cycle going. But we have illegal casinos, which are directly connected and uh, run by the same people that are funding, funneling that cash into the government casinos. Now, what happens in the illegal casinos is you know, we, we can see, as I've said, the police allege prostitution is occurring inside, human trafficking of young females from China and Hong Kong, the money, the proceeds are both the laundering of drug cash and they fund and facilitate uh, more production of drug cash. So we're adding that illegal casino network into the legal casino network in BC that, that, that was exposed in the money laundering inquiry. And the element I'm adding, the new element that my sources indicate, is Chinese state-sponsored crime. We have gangsters that are tasked to run these casinos they can make their money as long as they are also, you know, whining and dining Canadian politicians who will visit, as long as they are involved in interference activity that benefits the Chinese Communist Party. So it's a big web of what, what can just be called state-sponsored crime and corruption, in some ways meant to weaken and uh, really slice and dice our, our democracies and capture our politicians in the West. Now, you, you talk in your book about strategic corruption. How, do, how does that work in, in terms of like the Chinese Communist Party itself? That's right. Uh, another reason to update the book was the war in Ukraine. And it's been uh, it, it, the, the point I want to make is most people at this point don't have a difficulty grasping the concept that Vladimir Putin controls hundreds of oligarchs. These oligarchs, many of them rise from organized crime backgrounds. Uh, they work directly hand in hand with, you know, the, the FSB, which is the successor of the KGB, which Vladimir Putin, of course, was a KGB agent. And uh, these Russian networks, after the fall of the Soviet Union, the KGB, Putin and his friends in, in mafias, they, they didn't stop working together. They use underground banking to evade sanctions so they can still uh, build their weapons, even though Western nations may have applied sanctions that meant to stop the Soviet Union. And they, use, uh, they, they send oligarchs abroad to invest. Uh, 
I'm thinking uh, Florida hosts a very interesting oligarch that I'm looking into right now. Uh, they send them to invest in, uh, in energy abroad. Really, the, the method is strategic corruption. They want to get implanted in Western economies so they can influence politicians who we know always love to see jobs. They don't like to see the economy turned down. But it's all built around, uh, it, it originated with the fall of the Soviet Union and, and these networks trying to continue to influence these post-Soviet states like Ukraine. That's strategic corruption involving organized crime, the Kremlin, and a bunch of spies. And what I argue in the book is China has taken that model and uh, brought it to the high-tech era and is a thousand a thousand or more times better at using that Russian model of corruption. Uh, they're, they're more difficult to detect. They're more sophisticated. And uh, what I've written about in the book, the casino activity, the real estate activity, uh, the, the espionage activity, it all relates to that strategic corruption model. So, so what you're saying is that these triads that are coming from Hong Kong and Macau and, and doing all this narco trafficking and human trafficking in Canada are like, they're not just purely independent gangsters, that they're actually directed by the Chinese Communist Party. Yes, that uh, in a nutshell, some of the most powerful people in those triad networks are uh, intelligence uh, or security officials in China that have been given 100% carte blanche by the CCP to use whatever means they can to, to fulfill Beijing's objectives. And as a one source would tell me, those, those means involve being a 100% gangster. So you can be uh, a PLA veteran and intelligence boss of, of a bunch of gangsters. So you're right. You, you can be an official from China who controls gangs. That, that's simply how it's explained to me by my sources and some of the documents I cite. I guess the thing that's that's crazy to me is like I don't think you'd have like major like you wouldn't have Trudeau or the United States doing this kind of stuff with Russia. Like people get like, oh, you know, you don't want to work with Russian oligarchs. That's a problem. Why? Why isn't China and these Chinese oligarchs and their connections to triads? Why? Why is this like some loophole where people just completely? Well, I guess they're willful, willfully blind. Well, Chris, you know, you're talking about these so-called Chinese oligarchs, but I think maybe you're just racist. Mm. Is is that it, that you just can't say you're, you're racist against Russians? There's got to be a better explanation. Well, there there does have to be a better explanation, but it's uh, there's no irony in, a, in that answer from Matt. This is, a, this is a tool that's used by the Chinese Communist Party that whenever someone comes out and criticizes, uh, like, the, like the Canadian MP that I've talked about who said we need a foreign agent law, you know, to deal with uh, North Korea, Iran. He, he didn't even name China. He's talking about authoritarian states, but he was tarred and, and smeared as an anti-Chinese racist. Right, even though he, he's ethnically Chinese, though. Correct. It's ridiculous. It's wow. absurd. And yet what I would tell you is these arguments are made and it's my argument that the people making them are not stupid. We're talking about senators. We're talking about heads of industry. Some of these people are not only just parroting uh, these false, fake news, CCP talking points. They are paid under the table. They're compromised. And yet, you know, this goes full circle. Why does Canada need a Foreign Agent Registration Act? 
it's so that these people can't secretly be taking, you know, cash from Huawei under the table to say, why are we being mean to Mun Wanzhou? You know, this is inflaming racism. So there's there's a bigger there's a bigger uh, direction behind those, you know, what 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 logical people see as absurd claims. You don't hear much about Meng Wangzhou these days. I wonder whatever I'm sure happened to her. Sure, she's fine. Sure, she's fine. Uh, uh, <laughs> but but yeah, it's still like, oh, I mean, this is why I'm so worried about the Biden administration. They're them talking about stopping the China tariffs. Like, what what is motivating that? Just it's just why is there this lack of understanding in not just politicians who may or may not be completely bought off, but like the public? Or, why do the public you know, blackmailed by going to these illegal? gambling mansions yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah why why is there not a bigger public pushback well to your to your question i mean i i agree and i i make the argument in the book that it it took it took the ukraine war for a lot of people in the west to finally see that the path to those dropping dropping bombs on citizens is paved with this strategic corruption so now we can go after yachts uh, and uh, mansions and, you know, Russian oligarchs. We sort of have license because we can see, we can literally see just the incredible war crimes occurring. And I say, do we need to wait for, uh, for, for uh, uh, jets to fly over Taiwan? Do we need to wait for uh, microchip factories to be taken by Beijing in Taiwan to then see the Chinese oligarch networks, which are much more powerful and sophisticated in the same way we see the Russian networks. And I think there's two things going on. There are people that are squeamish about race uh, in the same way, strangely, that they're not about talking about Russian people. And uh, there's always going to be a, a, a reticence to accept that uh, such a deeply integrated economy uh, as China is with the United States, uh, a lot of jobs are on the line and there's going to always going to be a lot of politicians that don't want to recognize that saying yes to those jobs means uh, saying no to, you know, things like liberty and uh, uh, democracy years down the road, maybe just a few years, because the what you know, the the China is uh, learning from Ukraine. This is what I'm told. Taiwan is worried. Now, one of the things you talk about in your book is Canada's intelligence failure and how that is sort of part of a feedback loop between the intelligence community and the government. Yes, uh, you know, it could be a very complex answer or we can simply say, as I indicated before, what if, not even hypothetically, that the Liberal Party of Canada uh, is sometimes called the national ruling, sorry, natural ruling party. That's because they've been in power for 80% of the time, you know, we can compare them to the Conservatives in the United Kingdom who, you know, often win. And so in the UK, the Conservatives have been targeted by the United Front more. In Canada, the Liberals more targeted and infiltrated. And so if it, if it was against your, uh, your chances of winning to crack down on Chinese Communist Party espionage, who is targeting your opposition, the Conservatives, if you're uh, if you're lacking, you know, a real deep belief in democracy and ethics, you can understand why people might be willfully bind, why they might not want to empower Canadian intelligence to dig into the people that are some of your biggest party donors. I think that says it all. It, 
yeah, at the end of the day, it is all about money and power in politics. So the Canadian intelligence, like they they know what's going on, but they're submitting these reports, right? And then the the little liberal government doesn't really want to hear them. And so then that kind of affects what they investigate and report on in the future. Yes, this is how it's explained, that feedback loop where if you have, uh, you know, uh, if you're in the Canadian CFIS uh, and you, you want a long career, uh, you want a pension, you might want to jump from CSIS over to, uh, you know, Finance Canada or another agency, you're going to, as it's explained to me, your, your career path is, is not uh, beneficial by being, you know, by pushing these investigations on what we know, what the CIA knows is, is the biggest threat to, to democracy in the world. So that's a real concern of uh, what's called, you know, an elite capture or turning a blind eye to a threat that's, uh, the, 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 the loop extends into the intelligence bureaucracy. I mean, it's the same way in the U.S. Like we've spoken to people who are pretty high up in the U.S. military and they were raising the alarm about China. And that was not the message the political circle wanted to hear. And they were, you know, forced to retire. I actually wonder how the U.S. is responding to what's happening in Canada with the Chinese Communist Party, because like here, the FBI has been lately on this whole uh, kick about transnational repression. Right. And specifically unsealing indictments against Chinese nationals who have been trying to intimidate people here in the U.S. and making that like a big platform. And that seems like a big contrast with what's happening in Canada. Like, do you have any, um, you know, insight into how the FBI or, or the CIA is looking at what's happening in Canada? I do. Uh, the, two great points to Chris's at first. You know, I would say that there there are uh, impediments in the U.S., but your institutions in intelligence and the military are still functioning. Um, mm. They're still making cases, as 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 we've heard, you know, uh, the FBI, uh, a lot of cases, and so that feeds into yes, I do have insight from in intelligence and military uh, in Washington and the the Langley area. They are very concerned that Canada doesn't have the will. And seemingly the will, certainly not the capacity to, to crack down on these Chinese interference networks. My, uh, you know, the, my first edition wrote about a, a compromised RCMP intelligence official, which the United States has a lot of concern about and how that, uh, you know, that compromise has hurt Canada's intelligence uh, partnerships. And even though that person is sitting in a jail cell in Ottawa, I'm told that the concern continues about Chinese potential compromises into Canada law enforcement and intelligence. So that there's your answer. The, the United States is worried. And uh, I believe that uh, they, they want some of the people in, I can tell you for sure, some of the book I've written, some of the people in my book I've named the United States is worried about and wants to see targeted. So is there, like, it seems to me, regardless of how corrupt uh, officials might be in Canada, if, if the Canadian people were really aware of this issue and actually very vocal about it, it wouldn't matter what kind of money the CCP throws around. Wouldn't that be enough to turn the tide? It would be. Uh, it, it makes sense. If this were, if, if Chinese interference, uh, you know, cases like the interference, the blatant interference in the last federal election, 
became headline news for the Canadian public day after day, just as the uh, the Russian efforts were in the U.S., this would be you know a top of top shelf election issue in the next uh, next time around, and the party that wanted to win would have to have an answer to deal with it, such as a promise to institute a foreign agent registration act. Uh, the problem is that. Uh, you know, on the optimistic side, my book is doing well. The message is is starting to grow, but not enough people yet in Canada understand or have this issue uh, at the top of their minds. That that is that Canada's financial integrity, uh, democratic integrity, is is under deep attack and is vulnerable. What if uh, I don't know a bunch of truckers? Protested and drove to Ottawa. Well, do you think that would do something? <laughs> I mean, what I want to say is that there were some big concerns with some of the people involved in that event, but the people that argue that uh, the usage of uh, an emergency act to, to handle that or, you know, freezing people's bank accounts or uh, to deal with that could have been disproportionate, and yet it shows how much power the Canadian government has to stop something mm. if they really get concerned. Or perhaps even if some of the people on the other side, they see more as their natural enemies than, you know, someone uh, from uh, an illegal casino that that's donating and uh, is involved in the United Front. Those are those are reasonable questions. Hmm. Now, there, I was reading about a, a bill that passed um, in, in Parliament, not the Senate, but a, it basically about Canadian media, so, something to the extent of uh, limiting foreign media's ability to be present in Canada. And I was just kind of thinking about this as you're talking, because there's there's kind of two things going on here. One is like that makes it easier for the, the liberal government to control the media because they're not coming from outside. Uh, and there's, you know, there can be good outside media and there can be negative outside media, right? Like you don't want the Russians or Chinese controlling your media, which I get. Uh, but having, you know, the BBC in Canada, uh, you know, isn't necessarily so bad. But like what's interesting is that the, they're willing to uh, have a, a bill that stops uh, or limits severely foreign media. Uh, but they're not willing to have something that limits like foreign actual gangsters uh, like, like, giving money to Trudeau's foundation. Yes, exactly. People who would have to register as an agent of a foreign country. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Giving giving political donations. Why why would they not before thinking about you know tweaking you know the the internet so that we as they would argue can control hate speech or foreign interference? Okay, before you do that, maybe look at WeChat networks, which we know uh, are used to attack Canada's democracy as a number of independent studies have, have shown in this case I'm talking about, you would think that there's maybe a more present danger to tackle first if you really want to use, you know, the full power of the government. Yeah. How much money is Trudeau and his foundation getting from the Chinese Communist Party? That seems a little more uh, important. But well, but he's he's not getting the money from the Communist Party. He's just getting it from, from like local Chinese business businessmen. people. Yeah. And it's not even going to him. It's going to his family foundation, Chris. It's totally different. <laughs> well, so this is actually another important thing about the Canadian media environment. Like, as you said, if, you know, CBC was pushing stories every day about this kind of interference, why is that not happening? Why is why is this not 
an everyday trending topic in Canadian media? I have to say in the past two years, I've seen some good examples of reporting from, 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 from media, quote unquote, mainstream media. And, but, but I would agree that this is such an important issue. It, it should be headlines every week. Uh, you know, as an example, as you know, it, it took Canada three years to say that Huawei cannot be in Canada's 5G network. It's just so strange. What are the causes that would cause the government to drag their heels like that? Could there be a deeper story of, you know, people in government that in fact wanted Huawei to come in or or was there elite capture and corruption? Uh, you know, I, I'm doing my best to dig into those things. They're not easy, but they should be they should be headlines every day about these issues. Well, it'd be good if there were more people in Canada than just you looking into all this. Well, there's there's some more. I can't I can't take all the credit, but I will say that people people around the world have said that the book Willful Blindness is adding to the understanding of the CCP threat from a Canadian perspective, and the networks involved are are threatening the United States. Uh, they're threatening all all Western nations, all democracies. So I, I continue to do my part on that. Which segues perfectly into uh, a reminder to the audience, please buy a copy of Willful Blindness. It's a very, it's a, it's a great book, as horrifying as it is. Um, but there's there's something else I want to talk about that, that was kind of in the update. Um, and and it stood out to me because like when I first read about the company, my first <laughs> thought was like, oh, wow, this sounds like some sci-fi dystopian thing. The company. So what is the company? <laughs> Thanks, Matt. The, 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 the simplest way to understand it is I've talked about what my sources point to are, are uh, uh, officials from uh, China's National Police Agency, the Ministry of Public Security. They could be officials from the PLA. They could be officials from the MSS, which you, you know is the, the counterpart of the CIA. Very powerful Chinese official agencies concerned with counter-espionage, concerned with espionage, are and can be involved in high-level triad networks. So these uh, gangs in China and Hong Kong that are running the world's money laundering, running the world's uh, at the top of the scale for narco, uh, human trafficking, weapons. Uh, the company is a collection of the bosses of these triads. And uh, as my sources say, not corrupt officials, tasked Chinese officials, which uh, control, control the triads. It can't be said any simpler than that. That is the company. And in my updated chapter, uh, some new evidence uh, was buried in the, the BC anti-money laundering inquiry, where the main, you know, just uh, admitted loan shark at the center of the Vancouver model in BC uh, sent an email to someone he was trying to extort a real estate debt from saying, uh, if I don't hear back from you about that 500000 the company will be very, very hard on me. And Ooh, so it was yeah. another, another little bit of evidence to show that this person in BC that we didn't know was connected to what is known as the company, but we did know was connected to, you know, big police officials and PLA officials. He's saying, I work for the company. And uh, that's what it is. Uh, there was another good update. I found that this man... 
who had somehow strangely been given, you know, some ability to to have a lawyer represent him in the BC anti-money laundering inquiry, was arrested in Panama in March 2022 with a fake Mexican passport en route from Colombia to Panama. So when you put that together with uh, what what we know about the underground bank at the center of this story in British Columbia, which is laundering fentanyl proceeds into Chinese bank accounts and bringing cocaine up from uh, Colombia, Peru, Mexico City, um, we can have some thoughts about what this loan shark was doing on that little jaunt down to Colombia and Panama with fake Mexican paper in his hand. So how how big is the company? Like how widespread is their influence? They would uh, they would be the top state sponsored crime network in the world, top of the scale for uh, methamphetamines and and fentanyl, and as I've indicated, you know, top of the scale uh, for for cocaine networks. Said, and I'm telling you, I, I talked to United States sources. The concern is very live that the company that is these high-level triads with connections to Chinese officials, not only working with the Sinaloa cartel, but in some ways controlling, influencing the Mexican cartels because they're laundering all their money. Uh, You know, in those labs in uh, Mexico, uh, there are Chinese scientists found. So that gives you an indication of how influential and powerful this, this protected state-sponsored crime network that we call the companies. And I think what's great about exposing this is, I think it gives people the idea of just, no matter what, you know, horrible, like, world issue you're talking about, a lot of it ties back to the Chinese Communist Party, sort of like the final boss for all of this. (laughs) You start off with a Mexican drug lord, goes back to China. You know what I was thinking about, though, while you were talking about the Sam, you know, the... Antony Blinken, U.S. Secretary of State, recently said in a speech that he hopes the U.S. can work with China on fentanyl, right, on stopping fentanyl uh, coming into the country. You, you think that's possible, Sam, that, that we can work with China on stopping fentanyl? It's really interesting. Your, your instincts or your sources are, are great because I heard the exact same comment from a, a very connected U.S. source about that comment from Blinken. They said, who is he kidding? He knows as well as uh, as anyone in the uh, involved in this file at the DEA, CIA, that China will not cooperate, and uh, China, in fact, is using Mexico for for their own ends. So, I think what you're seeing there is some some politics where you know the Trump administration, for for whatever they're known for, was was strong on China, was strong in the fentanyl networks, and uh, it came back a little bit the other way with the. The Biden administration, but there are still people in Washington and and, and Virginia hopeful that uh, Blinken, uh, Mr. Blinken, will will see the light of day on on that that comment. Or there's someone higher up in the administration that somehow or another the Chinese Communist Party is funneling money to. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. So, and what I was thinking about when you're talking about the the these the company and their relationship with drug cartels is, you know, a couple of years ago, I watched uh, Narcos on Netflix, which is the story of um, Pablo Escobar. You know, like he he basically got like elected to Congress in Colombia. Like he was this like super popular guy, but like that was essentially limited to one country, right? His influence. And now it's like, like the, the big bad boss 
of the 80s is tiny compared to this massive company that's now like controlling all the, the narco stuff in like Colombia and Peru and Mexico and Canada and, and Asia, like all around the world. It's just like this big mega boss that we've like added on top of that. I, I would agree a hundred percent. And you know, the, when you look at the South American states, uh, again, uh, it's not, a lot of people can get there when, when you say that uh, the narco bosses are connected to some of those heads of state. Uh, I mean, uh, the DEA even made a case against one of them. Um, but now that we have people understanding, well, Russia operates it largely in the same way, money laundered by drug traffickers who are connected to the FSB uh, is responsible for, uh, you know, in some ways, funding these energy companies involved in trying to control Ukraine, Georgia, all these post-Soviet states. People are there. What's the next step? As, as you indicate, can we get people to understand that the company is, uh, well, really, uh, you know, uh, the Politburo, some people would say, is the most powerful mafia in the world. So here's something I'm wondering. Um, you know, like China kind of took and expanded the Russian model. Uh, the Russian model is obviously still operating. North Korea is also a major drug dealer. Is, is there any signs that like, you know, these authoritarian states like China, Russia, Iran are, you'd think they would start to bash up against each other and start to get in conflicts with each other. Is there any any hint of that? I don't think there's a, I mean, uh, I don't have full visibility on that question, except to say that, you know, my sources would say Hezbollah, uh, the company, uh, Russian mobs, they all find ways to work together when it benefits them. And, uh, you know, as we know, all of those countries, uh, if, if the bosses, heads of state are somehow either turning a blind eye or involved in those criminal networks, and as authoritarian states, the, the main enemy is the West, they will find a way to work together, both at the criminal level, the intelligence level, and the head of state level. So I don't see them bumping up against each other. And Ukraine is a good example. Uh, you know, there was some some hopeful, uh, sunny-minded people were, were thinking that China would come out uh, really strongly against uh, the war uh, in Ukraine, and we haven't seen that. I don't think we'll see that because there's a common there's a common cause, if not a common effort there. So what you're saying is, despite differences, people can learn to work together. Yes, bad people can learn to work together, and uh, good people can learn to work together too. I hope the good people get their act together. Uh, well, so you talk uh, in your update a bit about Iran. How does the Iranian regime tie into all of this? What's happening in Canada? Well, the, to start on the criminal level in this Vancouver model, the, uh, the Chinese triad underground banks that control this money laundering. Well, let's just say they're at the top of the scale of international money laundering. It was found that, uh, as I've indicated, you know, uh, South American cartels were using those laundering uh, networks, and so were Iranian Hezbollah networks. So when Hezbollah is doing money laundering using uh, some of those Chinese channels, then that, you know, that, that can raise the concerns that, as we know, Hezbollah is involved in shipping weapons around the world, terror financing. So you wrap those terror financing networks into these uh, 
un, uh, not underground, above ground criminal currency exchanges in Vancouver and Toronto. That is one of the ways that Iran, as a you know, a state-sponsored, its state-sponsored crime networks work into the Canadian story. And it's the same story where you have people from the Iranian guards who uh, uh, sort of drop the military suit and come into Canada wearing a business suit. The very same sort of oligarch networks are involved with Iran. And uh, what takes it to a new level with Iran is uh, we, we saw a case in New York in which a journalist, uh, a dissident journalist, was targeted by Iranian networks. I'm hearing the same thing is uh, happening in Canada. So I, Iran may even be, although much less powerful than China, as an authoritarian state, perhaps more aggressive with uh, targeting diaspora communities in Canada. And what ties it all together is, again, the opposition Conservative Party is saying we need to be tough not only on China, but on these uh, similar all authoritarian states that are uh, attacking our democracies and using criminals. I can see how it's so difficult for Western governments, even when they want to, to crack down on, you know, Iran or Russia when those very countries are using the networks set up by ultimately the Chinese Communist Party and the company to launder their money, move people in and out, move goods in and out, move weapons in and out. Like basically the, the Communist Party is the one that's through these facilities, like, well, facilitating all of these horrible regimes and they're doing it in the West, like they're doing it in Canada. And at the same time, they're using those networks to block uh, the government from doing anything about it. I think that's right. You could say that the, the CCP is underwriting at the highest level those underground banking and sanctions evasion networks. I mean, look again at the Man Wanzhou case. Uh, it, it may not shock you that a pattern seen there was the, fraud, the alleged fraudulent use of a U.S. bank to uh, to to route you know uh, funds through Iran and uh, a subsidiary uh, connected to allegedly Huawei had connections to Iran. There were indications that you know phone technology was involved. So that gets back to Chris's point that we we see Iran and China potentially at you know the state company level uh, working together in what looked like money laundering or fraud transactions which at the end of the day could could help uh, evasion of sanctions. Yeah, it just amazes me. Like, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, the Mexican drug cartels or Hezbollah, somewhere the Chinese Communist Party is there. It's so deep. So, you know, one of the things you, that you mentioned earlier, Sam, was that the, um, like, it basically took Russia's invasion of Ukraine for people in the West to wake up and be like, oh, we have to sanction these Russian oligarchs. Like, we have to do something about this Russian influence. Would you suggest that what we could do in the West is provoke the CCP into invading Taiwan? <laughs> uh, and this then, is some 4D chess. Yes. We, we, let, let's say we, we recognize Taiwan as an independent country. <laughs> uh, that, that will force the CCP's hand uh -huh. to in invade Taiwan. Actually, they might not, but we'll have to do something more perhaps. They invade Taiwan and then we'll wake up. Like this seems like a good strategy, right? Well, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with you on that. I would say, and, and, and having talked to Taiwanese people, uh, 
they they want the action to come long before Taiwan is invaded. They're mm-hmm. they're deeply uh-huh. they're deeply makes sense. They're they're deeply concerned right now that China is ramping up. They believe China is learning lessons from uh, Russia's attack on Ukraine. Uh, deep learning going on, and uh, they believe that that the West should take the steps that, uh, that I'm speaking about, that is cracking down on these crime and oligarch networks from China before Taiwan is invaded. No one wants to see uh, all the powers of the world uh, fighting over Taiwan. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I just didn't consult with any Taiwanese people before making my suggestion. Well, no, it's, it seems like, you know, given what happened in Ukraine, it seems like the only thing that will wake up the world maybe is if the Communist Party invades Taiwan. And even then, I'm not so sure because Chinese influence is way bigger and more pervasive than Russia. I I do argue, would it take war in Taiwan for people to finally see that the CCP is no different from Russia, just a lot more powerful, really a lot more smart? Let's hope hope not. Let's hope maybe what people can do is read willful blindness. Uh, and perhaps wake up a little bit. I think what we need is for like Netflix to option willful blindness and make it into like like a Narcos yeah. style. I feel like we show. talked about this last time yeah. too. That, you know. <laughs> well, this is this is a great selling point for willful blindness. If you want to prevent war, buy and read willful blindness. I, I endorse that a thousand percent. <laughs> we're, we're, we're joking here, but I can. I follow, you know, on Twitter some of these people that advise Congress, and they are literally saying it took a war in Ukraine for us to understand this strategic corruption and crack down. You know, let's start. Let, let's be smart and start looking a few years ahead to what can happen next. Well, Sam, thank you for the update and joining us again. Where can people follow you, and where can they get the book? They can follow me on Twitter at Scooper Cooper, and uh, everyone knows where the Amazon site is uh, for um, uh, the, the Americans. You're going to be able to find that and, and order the new edition of Willful Blindness. And in Canada, you'll find it uh, in, in your libraries and local bookstore. If anyone has heard of this, this Amazon? Hmm. That- it's a newfangled website. Okay. Yeah. It's like Amazon.net or something. Uh-huh. All right. All right. We'll, we'll, put, we'll put a link below. Yeah, Sam, thanks again for joining us. And thanks, thanks for doing all this work. It, you know, I joked about it, but like this, people becoming aware of this is the best chance we have of preventing a war. Otherwise, it really, it will have to take something as earth shattering as an invasion of Taiwan. Yes, I, I hope it's worth the several years of your life and the risk to your very person posed by the Communist Party. I know it is. There's a public interest. It's always great talking to you guys. And uh, thank you for always delving in and understanding the work. Absolutely. Next update or next book, we'll have you on. Yeah, look forward to it. All right. Take care. Well, I'm just struck by how beautiful it is that all these authoritarian regimes can work together so well to defeat the West. I'm still thinking about how cool of a name the company is. I feel Did, like it should, it should be based on like some like remote island that's a former World War II military base. Oh, I'm thinking of space. Isn't there like some James Bond movie where the villain oh, is like yeah. on like this defunct island? I don't island? think I've ever thing. watched a complete James Bond movie. So. Really? Yeah. Oh, that has to change. Yeah, I don't know. I like tried 
and keep falling asleep. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, most of them are not good. But uh, yeah, speaking of movies, in the original Alien movie, uh, they just refer to uh, the, the in, in the series. It's the, the Wayland Utani Company. They just they just call it in the first one. They just call it the company. They don't ever mention the name. There are some boxes in the background that say like the Wayland Corporation, mm -hmm. and then in the second one, Aliens. Uh, it then becomes Wayland Utani, sort of some background story about like some kind of corporate merger that happened between the first and second movie. It's very good storytelling. Hmm. Interesting. I was actually thinking about how like James Bond doesn't go up against this kind of thing, right? Like what we're facing in Canada. What? With the company. Like, like you know, the, the, the villains that, that Bond goes after are typically more isolated, right? It's like a bad guy who has his network, but once the bad guy is defeated, then that sort of falls apart. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think we've defeated the bad guy. No, because the bad guy is so much bigger than can fit in a single James Bond movie. Well, I was we were joking about how Netflix should option Willful Blindness and make it into Narcos. Yeah. But I was thinking about how, you know, that is even fraught in itself because up until, you know, just a couple months ago, I would be like, fat chance Hollywood would never do that because they're so bought off by the Chinese Communist Party. There are some signs that things may be changing. Yeah, or at least in some ways, like the CCP is shooting itself in the foot with Hollywood. Because they're pissing off Hollywood by not letting them have access or, or like pulling out of the investments. like. But then again, like I hear stories about like, hey, you, you know, the Confucius Institute, we, we've stopped the Confucius Institute, except now they're just rebranding it and the universities are still working with these people and with the same ties to the Chinese state, the, taking the same money. I think we're the ones shooting better sh at shooting ourselves in the foot than well, China. Let's just all shoot ourselves in the feet. I was going to suggest we finance a movie about the company. Like, like us? Like yeah. we finance it. Hey, and I could be the star. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it, it'll be. This company must be stopped. This, this will this be an even Tommy lower Wiseau? budget movie than The Room, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he had like a $6 million budget. for. Oh, yeah. Movie. No, it'll be way lower than that. I like this idea. Hey, if you guys want to see the company, the movie starring me, uh, be sure to contribute on Patreon or our exclusive social media free platform, Locals. I'm not sure a dollar an episode is going to get us there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can barely afford to keep the lights I think, on. I think we'll need uh, like $50 million to make it like a really good movie. $50 million? Yeah, and like that's not even that much these days. You'd have to find uh, actors and directors willing to do it for almost free, like according to what they're used to getting, right? Yeah, uh, a, a the company movie would be pretty cool, though. I think I think that'd be fun. At a minimum, if some Hollywood director is watching our show, we can provide uh, consultative services. All right, Tommy Wiseau, if you're watching, help us make a real Hollywood movie. Oh my god. I regret well. suggesting this right now. <laughs> Can we end this podcast five minutes ago? Uh, no, we can't go back in time, but we can work together now to end this podcast. Okay. I want to shoot you in the foot so bad. <laughs>
Thanks for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Ganesta. I definitely looked at the wrong camera for the end of that. That's fine. <laughs> Crash and burn.